Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Genesis 30, verse 17. Let's look to the Lord. Father, thank you. That's what we want to say to you this morning. Thank you, Lord, for saving us and thank you, Lord, for adopting us and thank you, Lord, for teaching us. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 30, verse 17. God hearkened unto Leah. She conceived, bare Jacob the fifth son. Leah said, God hath given me my hire because I have given my maiden to my husband, and she called his name Issachar. Leah conceived again, bare Jacob the sixth son. Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. She called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bare a daughter, and called her name Dina. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and opened her womb, and she conceived, and bare a son, and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, and said, the Lord shall add to me another son. Now, in our last study, we saw a very significant verse in verse 17, as we just read it here, where it says, God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. Now, this is the first time that we read that God hearkened to Leah. Actually, the word here for hearken is a very important word in Hebrew, Shema, which is the title for the most famous prayer for the Jewish people, which they just simply call the Shema. And so what happens is that when Gentile people get in trouble, they typically will search through their minds and they'll pray the Lord's Prayer in Luke eleven twelve. It's you know, I mean eleven two. You know they when he said you know our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy thy will be done as it is in heaven. That's what they do when they get in trouble. Or they might say, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep anything. You know. Or they'll pray something like the twenty third Psalm. You know, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. It makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. These are typical prayers for Gentile people. But it's interesting, when Jewish people get in trouble, they typically will pray the Shema in Hebrew from Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Very famous prayer. It's It's so ironic that the Jewish people should pray the Shema because this is a verse in the Bible that teaches the Jewish people about the oneness of all three members of the Godhead or the Trinity. The Shema calls the Jewish people to recognize that Jehovah Jesus is one of the two other members of the Godhead along with God the Father and God the Spirit. He's God the Son. 
And what verse 17 tells us is that Elohim shamad, he shamad. In other words, God heard Leah. And as a result of God hearing Leah, Leah conceives and bears to Jacob the fifth son. It's a unique statement in verse 17 when it says, God hearkened unto Leah. It means that Leah was praying to God. It's an insight as to what Leah was doing. And that statement that God hearkened to Leah, what's interesting about it is that it's conspicuous by its absence from verses 9 through 16. In other words, what's before it? Because when Leah gave to Jacob her handmaid to gain children, you know, verse 9 is where Leah flies into action after Rachel's challenge, I win in this fight. And then Leah flew into action and she grabs Zilpah, her handmaid, and throws them at Jacob to have more children. And from verse 9 till now, there's no mention of God hearkening to Leah or of Leah praying to God. See, for all these verses, we've been in a desert with Leah not praying. And now, to break that howling silence, we read in verse 17, and God hearkened to Leah. And so the, verse, the statement in verse 17 that God hearkened to Leah is so abrupt that God is like making us a statement here. He's calling everyone. God is saying to everyone, look everyone, Leah is praying. You see that? God is saying. You see that? Leah is praying. Leah was not praying when she gave another woman to her husband. I don't think so. That's not a time when you pray. She was not praying something. Now, Lord, as I put this other woman into Jacob's, my husband's bed to make a baby, will you please bless this conception? She didn't have that prayer. Because when we resort to sin to get our own way, the light goes out in the prayer room. And in essence, Leah was saying, I don't need God to get more children. I know how to get more children. And she like, you know, opens up Jacob's cage and throws Zilpah in and says, here, boy, go get her and make babies. So Leah's smart enough to know that, that this is something that God's not going to be on the same page with her. So during that sad Zilpah option for Leah, there's no verse and Leah prayed. There's no verse and God hearkened unto Leah. Until we reach verse 17, and then it's like a fresh water in the desert of Leah's prayerlessness, we read, and God hearkened unto Leah. Now, why did Leah start to pray now? Because of the sad cry in verse 18, I've given my maiden to my husband. You know, when Leah said that in verse 17, I've given my maiden to my husband, that was a cry of, Oh no, what have I done? I've given my maiden to my husband. And now she's flooded with feelings of fault. And she's flooded with feelings of guilt. And she's flooded with feelings of shame. And she feels all this fault and guilt and shame. And it leads her to know she was wrong. And Leah is a woman who is so intensely jealous and desires with all of her heart to have her husband's undivided, devoted love. And now, with these words in verse 18, I've given my maiden to my husband, she sees. Leah sees. She's the one who's taken the hurry-carry dagger and driven it into her own heart. And therefore, she prays because she sees herself in big trouble. Look good at the time. Look good to Sarah at the time. There's this Hagar. She can make babies. But then afterward, 
Sarah and Hagar, they don't get along so well. And Sarah hates Hagar. And Hagar despises Sarah. So that never goes well. So she sees that Leah has put herself in this same deep, big trouble. And now she's been driven to pray because she's put herself in this trouble. And that's so typical. When a person starts to pray, they're in big trouble. They're in deep trouble. That was the case with my Jewish stepfather who would not accept me to talk to him about the Lord Jesus Christ and praying. But when he was 90 years old and he knew his days were short, he turned to his Filipina caretaker, Filipina Catholic caretaker, and asked her to show him how to pray. I mean, here's a man who's written books about Hollywood and very accomplished writer and knows his way around, knew his way around Hollywood, wrote a book, The 50-Year Rise and Decline of Hollywood, you know, and interviewed Humphrey Bogart, Walt Disney, Marilyn Monroe, all these people, knew all kinds of things, but he didn't know how to pray. And after a life of prayerlessness, why did he want now to pray? Because he was in trouble. He saw death approaching, and he wanted to learn how to pray. That's what we see here in the case of Leah. Trouble drove her to prayer. And so we see Leah now with all these feelings of guilt and shame, and it's leading her to know, I was wrong. I was really wrong. And we will never read of Leah ever giving Zilpah to Jacob again. Not going to go there again. I've done that once. I've learned my lesson. She learned her lesson, and she's been deeply hurt. She's scarred for life by her sin of giving Zilpah to her husband. She'll never do that again. But Leah now is at a crossroads. I mean, here's Leah, a woman who is intensely jealous and desires with all of her heart to have her husband's undivided, devoted love And now she's got all this guilt. She's got this tremendous load of guilt and shame. And it's just come crashing down on her as she says these words. I've given my maiden to my husband. You know, how dumb can I be? And this was all to lead her to simply confess that she was wrong. I mean, healing is ready to start. Healing can start for Leah if she just says three words. Leah. Please just say three words about the past, three words about the present, three words about the future, and the healing will start. Leah, all you got to do is just say about the past, I was wrong. That's all. Leah, all you got to say about the present are three words, I am ashamed. Leah, all you got to say about the future is just three words. I will apologize. That's it. That's it. And those same three words for the past, the present, and the future is what needs to be said about by anyone who wants the healing to start. I was wrong. I am ashamed. I will apologize. And God wants to hear those three statements before the healing can start. There can't be any healing. Until a person says, I was wrong, I'm ashamed, I will apologize. And when a person says that, he becomes the person that God came into the world to save. As it says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then Paul adds, and I'm at the head of the line, of whom I am chief. 
See, he says, this is a faithful saying. It means this is a trustworthy saying. This is something you can rely on, depend on. This is a saying that everyone should accept, not just me. What? That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, to save sinners. Matthew 1, 21, he shall save his people from their sins. 1 John 3, 5, he was manifested to take away our sins. John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Matthew 18, 11, the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew 9, 13, I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Romans 5, 6, Christ died for the ungodly. Who are these ungodly? Who are the ungodly that the Lord Jesus Christ died for? What are the sins of his people in Matthew 1, 21 that the Lord Jesus is going to save them from? What are our sins in 1 John 3, 5 that he was manifested to take away? What is the sin in John 1, 29 that he as the Lamb of God takes away? The sin and the sins referred to are not white lies. <laughs> he didn't die for white lies. The sin and sins referred to are not our forgetfulness. He did not die because we forgot to buy the eggs on the shopping list. You see, the sin and the sins that he died for are not mistakes. You know, you look at the Jewish prayers for Yom Kippur, they've really transitioned. It used to be chetal, chet, uh, sins against God. Chetal, chetal. And that's how it is in Hebrew. But now you read the English and then they would help you in Yom Kippur and say, these were the chetal, these were the sins uh, that you did against other people and you, you lied and you cheated and, and you did this against God and they would help you. And now that has been retranslated to mistakes. These, <laughs> these are mistakes that I made this last year. The mistake I made when I went with that other woman. The, the mistakes now, Colin, see? Who are the lost? In Matthew uh, 18, 11, he came to save. Who are the lost? In Luke 19, 10, he came to seek and to save. Who are the sinners? In 1 Timothy 1, 15, he came into the world to save. Who are the sinners? In Matthew 9, 13, he came to call to repentance. Who are these ungodly? In Romans 5, 6, he died for. The sinners he came into the world to save. And the sinners he came to call to repentance. And the ungodly he died for are DRS, dirty, rotten sinners. <laughs> okay, Dirty, rotten sinners. The Lord Jesus Christ hangs like a sign outside of his door. And it says, dirty, rotten sinners are welcome. That's what it says. Dirty, rotten sinners find help here. And if a person walks in that door, then God says, are you a dirty, rotten sinner? 
And if the person says, well, no, <laughs> I'm not that bad, then God says, well, I can't help you. I can't help you. Go down to the next door. Next door reads, righteous people, you know, come here. And he says, because I came into the world to call and save dirty, rotten sinners. So if you're not a dirty, rotten sinner, I can't help you. And a dirty, rotten sinner says three statements. I was wrong. I am ashamed. I will apologize. You ever heard a person say, you ever heard a person almost feeling offended say something like this? You mean the gospel means that a murderer on death row, all he has to do is say, I was wrong and, you know, about that and apologize and accept Christ and he's forgiven? He said, that's not right. You ever heard that? I have. You know why they're offended? You know why they're offended with the gospel? Because the gospel's for dirty, rotten sinners on death row. And they don't see themselves as a dirty, rotten sinner on death row. Not at all. But the healing doesn't start until a person says, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Until a person said, I was wrong, I'm ashamed, I will apologize. Because we all have an Adam inside of us. And that Adam says, oh no, I'm not going to do that. Sinner, don't talk like that. What did Adam do in Genesis 3? In Genesis 3, 6 through 8, it says, the record is so clear. When the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant for the eyes, a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and three words, he did eat. He did it. And the eyes of both of them were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves for themselves together and made themselves aprons. They heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. See, Adam sinned by eating from the forbidden tree. He did eat. Adam was overwhelmed with feelings of shame and guilt. And all Adam had to do is just say, I was wrong, I'm ashamed, I'll apologize. But instead, Adam thinks about it. And he says, rule number one is, I'm never wrong. Rule number two is, if I think I might be wrong, go back to rule number one. (laughs) So he concludes. He concludes, I was not wrong. It's someone else's fault. It's Eve's fault. I've just discovered that. It's really Eve's fault. No, it's not Eve's fault. It's God's fault. He gave Eve to me, and he convinces himself of that. Pride says, I am never wrong. I was not wrong. I will not allow myself to feel ashamed. I have nothing to apologize for. Humility says, I was wrong. I'm ashamed. I will apologize. There was no logical reason to blame God for Adam eating the fruit, but what Adam did, he said that in order to avoid saying, I was wrong, I was ashamed, and I apologize. There was no logical reason for Leah to think that her having a child was God's reward for her self-denial in giving her maiden to her husband. But that's what she did in order to not say, I was wrong, I'm ashamed, I'll apologize. Do those terrible feelings that we feel are the guilt and the shame, they put us in the same crossroads. We've got to choose. Humility says, I was wrong. I'm ashamed. I'll apologize. And then the healing starts. Pride or pride with an illogical blaming of someone else so we can say, I was not wrong. I I won't allow myself to feel ashamed and I have nothing to apologize for. 
Sadly, Leah chose the wrong way. And God's recorded all this down here for us so that when we feel the guilt and the shame, that we'll choose the right way. Now, when we think of all the names that Leah could have chosen for this son, she chose the word Issachar, which means reward. And with the name of Issachar, she memorializes her illogical reality that God had somehow rewarded her for giving her maid to her husband. I mean, God must have fallen off his throne when she said that. (laughs) And with the name of Issachar, Leah is saying, I have done nothing wrong when I gave Zilpah to my husband. I don't know why I feel so bad now, but I did nothing wrong, because that's rule number one. I refuse to be ashamed for giving Zilpah to my husband, and I have nothing to apologize to my husband for, or to God, for giving Zilpah to my husband. See, and all this refusal to be humbled, she stated where their choice of the name Issachar for the boy. Hmm. So that means reward. Now, if she came to us and she said, what do you think I should name the son? Oh, we could say to her, <laughs> say, Leah, here's a perfect name for that son. You don't call him Issachar. You call him Shlachi. You say, what's Shlachi? Sounds like a schlock. No, no. Shlachi is a very important word. It means like, uh, I feel really bad and uh, excuse me and forgive me. Shlachi is a very important word during Yom Kippur. We just had Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur, is, see, on Yom Kippur, my father and I would go to the temple. We wouldn't eat. That made it very memorable for me. <laughs> we wouldn't drink any water all day. And during the Yom Kippur service, like I told you, they wouldn't say mistakes. You know, they would they call it sin. And people would go down the categories, you know, this, this category, this category, this category. And they would confess the sin to God that they did in each one of those categories the past year. And after each confession, they'd take their right hand, close it in a fist, cross over and hit the left side of their heart, just like that, and say, shlachi, shlachi, shlachi. They'd go like that, shlachi. So they would say, I cheated so-and-so out of this much money last year, and they'd hit their heart and say, shlachi. See? And I lied to my friend and this last year, and they'd say, shlachi. See, that's what shlachi means. It means um, excuse me, to me excuse, or forgiveness. Slachi means that. Slachi means excuse to me, or excuse me, or forgive me. And you hit your chest like that, you'd go over and over, you know. And then you'd, in the congregation, you'd watch for who was doing that the most. You'd stay away from that person. <laughs> but, you, you, but that's what you did. You took your fist and you, you said, Slachi. That's what the publican was doing. Did you ever read that passage of the publican in Luke 18, 13? says, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a lost sinner. Uh, I mean, a sinner. Uh, what did you think that meant when you read that? Did you think he was like Tarzan doing this or something like that? No, he was taking his right hand, and he was saying, Slachi. And he was holding his head down. He was saying, Slachi. You know, and he was confessing his sins. So when it says, God be merciful to me, a sinner, that's similar to slachi. So slachi means to excuse or forgive me, and it has the meaning of be merc- God be merciful to me, a sinner. So when it says that, that's what he was doing there. Mm-hmm. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, founder of Israel Restoration Ministries and our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study and Reference Bible. It's a King James Study and Reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages, 13 and a half point large font, and has over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It has Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament and over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references. It also includes daily bread reading notations, a tour of the Bible scripture journey, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel timeline map. Not to mention incredible concordance and the most popular Bible scripture references section, Bible reference help section, and hundreds and hundreds of other personalized pages from Tom Cantor to grow your friendship with God. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.